Good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here with us this morning in person, or if you're chiming in on the live stream, welcome this morning. Glad that you're here as we continue in this series called The Christmas Uncut, the Editor's Edition. When you have the Editor's Edition, you get it all. You get all of the scenes, all of the filming, you get all the bloopers, everything involved in the story before it's cut and sent off to the theaters or to Netflix or whatever. And what I want you to see through this series and the goal through this series is that God did not cut out anything in the Christmas story, that he left it all in there, its rawness, you know, the the miracle side, the mystery side. You know, you have the variety of individuals from Joseph and Mary who are unmarried, but yet she's having a baby, and yeah, it's a virgin birth. I mean, if you want somebody like to understand a story and to like believe the story, you write it in a way that they're going to understand it and they're going to believe it, right? But yet God has all of this mystery in this story so that we will have to act out of faith to trust and to believe that a Savior has been born unto us. And so we have been looking at different portions of the story, different characters in the story. We started with the prophets, then we looked at Mary, the supporting actress in that. And today I want to look at the idea of the cast, the cast as far as the angels and the shepherds in that this morning. So let's pray and then we'll dive into it. Lord God, I pray that as we walk through this Christmas season, that we would see the Christmas story in a new light with greater understanding, greater uh, mystery, greater awe in all that you have done and what you have given us in the story and the truth of the birth of your son, our Savior. So I pray this morning that we would hear it anew in your name, amen. The director gave this downbeat. The orchestra began to play and the choir chimed in. And the angel lit the candle and everybody looked stage right to the entrance. But no little boy. The choir director chimed the choir in again a little louder. And the angel lit the candle and everybody looked stage right. No little boy. (laughs) The choir director, sweating in that, encouraged the choir as loud as they could. And the angel lit the candle. And out of the silence of the room, off stage to the right, you hear this little boy soprano. And the cat peed on the matches. I mean, it's such like a, a kid's Christmas story, right? A kid's, kid's Christmas production to have something happen. Something always happens, right? And it's so interesting in every story, in every production, you have this cast, right, of different people. And we see through the Christmas story, there's this full cast. We have Joseph and Mary. We have the baby Jesus. But then we have these angels and these shepherds. We have like the extras, like the innkeeper and others in the story that show up, Caesar Augustus, different individuals. 
in the story. And with every story, there is a backdrop to that story. With every film or production, there is a setting where the story takes place. In the movie Ford vs. Ferrari, which features the chronology of the 1966 battle between the two auto empires to see who would be the greatest in the greatest race on earth, the Le Mans in France, the movie's setting or the background to this movie was shot at two raceways in California, the Willow Springs International Speedway and the Auto Club Speedway, but yet it was also shot outside of Atlanta, Georgia, on a three and a half mile obscure country road that they were looking for because it revealed almost the exact setting of some of the scenes years ago of what took place during this whole story as it originated. You know, when it comes to the Christmas story, what is the setting or the backdrop to when the angels and the shepherds show up in their role? We read it in Luke chapter 2. Let me give it to you. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flocks at night. The angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has just told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they saw him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And everyone who heard it were amazed. That's our backdrop to this story. Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem to register. It was the town of their ancestry. 
From Nazareth to Bethlehem was literally a three-day walk for them. So it'd be literally like if we would leave right now and we would walk down to Apple Valley to the Minnesota Zoo. It would be a three-day walk for us. Bethlehem is considered this nowhere town in history. It's, it, they, it's probably sort of like Embarrass Minnesota. Embarrass Minnesota always gets the rap because of the name, right? You know, Embarrass Minnesota. Well, that was like Bethlehem. They always got the rap. It was this like no place. The Roman government used this registration that Joseph had to do of citizens for military purposes and also for taxation. So we see that nothing's changed, right? I mean, it's, it's still the same today, right? Caesar Augustus is the first Roman emperor in place at this time with incredible power. And the people, the Roman world is looking to him to bring peace and prosperity over the land. Very similar to whenever we have a new president, right? What are we looking for? Honestly, we're looking for peace and we're looking for them to bring us prosperity, right? So there, nothing has changed. But the Jews have been waiting for their Messiah. And so they are looking for a different peace. They are looking for what is called shalom. It is a peace that does not come from man. It comes from God. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Did you walk in this morning afraid of something? Are you burdened this Christmas season more so than any other season? Are you carrying something that maybe you're hoping this Christmas season will provide you or or give you a peace? What Jesus is saying is, listen, the world isn't going to cut it. What people are running after during this month isn't going to provide them peace. There's a greater peace that I provide you. Seek that peace. We see that it's at night in Bethlehem, in this setting. The town is full of travelers because everybody's coming to register. So to the backdrop of Bethlehem and the Bethlehem skies comes this extraordinary proclamation. Now, the word proclamation means this, to announce or declare in an official or formal manner. So when the angels came and proclaimed to the shepherds this extraordinary proclamation, it wasn't just like, hey, you guys, got something for you. You know, this, it was this official proclamation, very formal, because they were communicating the Savior of the world. I mean, one minute the shepherds are talking quietly in the darkness of the Bethlehem, Landscape, and the next moment the hillside is ablaze. It's lit up and it's booming as the angel brings this proclamation. The word angel means messenger. So he is the messenger to bring this proclamation. This appearance also wasn't at a distance. The angels didn't show up light years away or up in heaven. They were in the shepherd's face, because the word appeared 
in the Greek, in that verb form, literally means to stand at or near a specific place. So they were like in the face of these shepherds giving this extraordinary proclamation about the Savior. When the Bible talks about this brightness, it's more than just this mega candle brightness. It is the radiance of God's presence, his glory itself. Here it refers to the condition of being bright or shining, brightness, this splendor, this radiance. We see that throughout the Old Testament when God shows up before a people or an individual, he shows up in his glory. It's incredible. We see this as Moses went up to the mountaintop to meet with God in the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. When he comes down, the people are looking at him Odd, why? Because his face is still shining bright. There's residue still of God's glory on it, his presence on it. Now, the results of the shepherds hearing the proclamation from the angels is fear. It says they were terrified. In the King James Version, it says this, feared with a great fear. So there was this compounding fear with this experience. They were terrified. It gives, I want to give you a little picture of this, of this little kid in this video. So let's watch. Stop, 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 stop. There's your shepherd, right? I mean, that's just, we all know what it's like, you know, we're doing something, someone comes around the corner like, hey, and you're like, hey, whoa. I mean, there's like this terrifying experience. And this proclamation is extraordinary because the term they use is a savior is born. The word savior in the Greek means our rescuer, the one who rescues us. Finally, the angel utters these words that the Jewish nation has been waiting hundreds of years to hear, that he is Christ the Lord. Now we see in the angel's declaration, in the phrase, however, he doesn't use the word Christ by itself, but in the phrase, Christ the Lord. What did the angel mean by putting these two words together, Christos and Kyrios together? This phrase is used nowhere else in the new part of the Bible at all in exactly this way. A minor textual variant renders the meaning to the highest conceivable and most lofty designation. He said the proclamation in this way. He is Christ the Lord to make sure that the shepherds recognized that this is the highest name above all names. It is the highest position above all others, period. He is Christ the Lord. What's so interesting about this extraordinary proclamation is that in the story, it comes to these ordinary people, these shepherds. 
Tending flocks along with agriculture formed the basis of the Palestine economy. And shepherds who were probably out in these fields watching over these sheep were probably watching over sheep that were then used for temple sacrifice in Jerusalem, which was just six miles north of where they were tending their flocks. It says in the Bible that the shepherds lived out in the fields. They lived outside year-round. They weren't around townspeople at all. They were constantly with the sheep since the sheep were vulnerable to all kinds of trouble. When it says they're keeping watch, keeping watch is literally a military term, that they were like these sentinel people, these people who watch, who guard. I mean, watching sheep in that day was like watching 60, two- and three-year-olds out in the field. That's what it would be like for you to watch two, you know, 60, two- and three-year-olds out in the field. Oh, my goodness, you know? I mean, it was crazy. The shepherds had to make sure that the sheep were safe, weren't injured, weren't wandering off, weren't getting stolen or eaten by wolves. Interesting phenomenon that happened just a few years back in Istanbul, Turkey, where the shepherds took a little break just to have some lunch. And during that time, 1,500 sheep went off the cliff. 1,500 sheep went off the cliff. It's crazy. I mean, one sheep got towards the end, ended up falling off. And the other one said, oh, I'll follow them. And 1,500 sheep just kept falling. Follow, hey, hey, you know, hey, there goes Sue. Hey, hey there goes Larry. Hey, let's go. You know, hey, we're... And 450 of them ended up dying. They said, well, once the heap got sort of big, it was sort of fluffy, you know, and the others sort of just bounced and stuff like that. You know, probably pretty interesting to watch, right? When they interviewed the shepherds, they felt pretty sheepish about the whole thing. Shepherds <laughs> could not fulfill. What's so interesting about shepherds as well is that shepherds could not fulfill any judicial position. And also, they could not be used in court for any testimony because their testimony was seen as invalid. Jewish culture stated there's no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Jewish philosopher Alexandria wrote about looking after sheep and goats. Such pursuits are inglorious. I mean, shepherds probably weren't even considered ordinary people. They were probably like this under-ordinary people. So it's so interesting. With such an extraordinary proclamation like the savior of the world that we have been like waiting for for hundreds of years is proclaimed to these shepherds. I mean, if we would ask a local reporter these questions, what would they say? If an individual walked into your place of work and told you the president is in town, what would your reaction be? Probably the same as the shepherds, right? You're kidding. Oh my goodness, unbelievable. But if you were given the first call that the president was in town, what would you do with the information? Would you run out and say, okay, I am gonna try to find the most unordinary people in this community to tell? Because we all know that sometimes 
We all think that way towards some people, don't we? If we're honest. But you wouldn't run after, you're going to say, hey, who needs to know this? I mean, it's got to be the mucky to mucks, right? Yeah? I mean, would this be an exclusive? You got to ask that question. Or would like the reporters know, would like the mayors already know they're, they're coming, like the president's already coming in that. But yet it's an exclusive. The only people God tells is this group of shepherds out in the fields, this unordinary group of guys. And how surprising is it that God chose the shepherds to carry out this incredible news that the Savior was born? I mean, he knew that in that culture, their testimony wasn't even credible. But this is just how God works. This is who he is. I mean, it's his trend. I mean, we see when Jesus starts his public ministry in Matthew 4, he's looking for disciples, for followers, who is eventually going to bring the rest of the world the good news that he was crucified on the cross, he died, and on the third day he was rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. That's big news to carry. But yet, who does he choose? He chooses, first of all, Andrew and Peter, two fishermen. I mean, all fishermen are liars. I mean, fever, you know? I mean, that's his tent. I mean, really? In Matthew chapter 9, he picks Matthew, who is this corrupt tax collector. We see in John that he is hanging out with the Samaritan woman. A Jew doesn't hang out with a Samaritan woman, and a man who is a Jew doesn't hang out with a woman, period. And she's married five times. But yet she's the one that goes off and proclaims to the whole town, hey, listen, I just met the Savior. I just met the Savior. It's so God, right? He takes like this extraordinary proclamation and he gives it to these ordinary or what we would maybe classify as this underordinary people. And it's amazing. So we see that it's, it's just not for the pious or for the Jew, but it's for all the people, this news. What wonderful news for those who are estranged from God, for those people who, who think, man, my sin is so big, God will never forgive me. It's not true. Because in verse 11, it indicates that the baby is born to you. doesn't say just Mary and Joseph, that's it. No, it is born to you. It is born to all. This birth is unto everyone and to everyone's benefit. All of us. That's awesome. And so we have this extraordinary proclamation, ordinary, these ordinary people like you and I for this extraordinary purpose. Because the shepherds said to one another, and in the Greek it means literally they kept saying to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and check this thing out. So they heard what God had said and then they stepped out in faith and they went to Bethlehem to check it out, to see if God was on the level of what they experienced really was truth. And so the praise and worship of the shepherds came then after two previous events, divine revelation given by the angel, and then their verification of actually going and seeing if the baby was really there, what the angel had said. So the word Revelation was confirmed by what they experienced at the manger. The shepherd's praise was not this hysterical, emotional response to this spectacular heavenly phenomenon. It wasn't, hey, of what took place when the angels came and proclaimed and they, they announced or whatever. 
their ultimate praise was when they went and they verified and they're like, there he is, the savior of the world. It's true. Their praise was the result of what they personally verified in the manger, the truth of the Messiah being born. How many times do we miss the verification of God in our lives because we were not obedient in following him? And so he could not confirm it in our life. What would have happened if they would have just stayed out in the field and said, ah, got to be kidding me. Let's watch sheep. They went and they verified it. And when they saw him, what did they do? They went and they proclaimed it then to others, this extraordinary proclamation that they received. They then and went and took it out to others. And so my challenge and encouragement to each one of us in the room is that as we walk through this Christmas season, that we would see the Christmas story in a different way, in a different light. That there's so much packed into it. And that this Christmas story, first of all, holds for us a personal savior. It says, to you. And this morning I have to ask, have you acknowledged Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you invited him in to pay for your sin? If not, talk to Pastor John after the service. Get that right. Receive the greatest gift this Christmas. But secondly, are you praising him in your life? Not just for this hour on a Sunday, but just in how you live in general. The Bible says, hey, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. And then lastly, are you proclaiming him like the shepherds went off and did? They went and proclaimed that the Savior of the world had been born. They started it. The news. These ordinary, almost under ordinary people. And God has given that great news to us to proclaim as well. So reflect where you're at with your personal Savior, your praise of Him, and your proclamation as well this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Christmas, for the season. And may this morning we, may we focus again on you, thank you, and all that it provides in Jesus. Thank you. I pray favor over each one, that they would experience the ultimate peace, shalom, from you. In your name, amen.